Hey church, how are you? Uh, my name is Dan Gorey. If you're just tuning into our YouTube channel for the first time and we haven't met yet, my wife Hannah and I get the honor of leading this incredible church, C3 Corumban. And today, I actually want to re-preach one of our messages because it's such a, an important topic for us. I believe as a church, uh, being a Pentecostal Christian church, we recently celebrated Pentecost Sunday and it is just such a topic with so much debate and so many gray areas, so many things that people are, are disagreeing on and trying to agree on and searching the scriptures on that we, we really felt like we wanted to do a deep dive into what we believe as a church. And so recently we were celebrating this more, more specifically focusing on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gift of speaking in tongues, where we see that in Acts and the Bible in Corinthians and what would that mean for us today? What would this look like? And so we'd love this to bless you. I also want to be clear, there's, there's some things that we're going to be, I'm trying to make black and whites, only black and whites that scripture makes black and white and allow this, this gray area on this topic. I believe in the Bible, there is so much gray and it's, it's a mysterious in our relationship with God. This mystery about when the Holy Spirit comes, what does that look like? changes for all of us and the reason is he's a real God and he wants a real relationship with a real person and you are not me we're not robots we're, we're so different we're individual sons and daughters of God and so when God wants a relationship with his kids like any parent to their kids that doesn't look the same all the time it's not a plus B equals C, but it's this relational uh, engagement and, and moment, and that will look different for all of us. So let's have a look at the Bible. Let's have a look at Acts, and let's see what that could mean for you and I today. But to briefly give you my testimony, I, I raised in this church, and our beautiful founding pastors, Eric and Christine Harrison, they're just such a blessing to us still. And something I appreciate so much is this church has always been built on an appreciation and reverence for the Word of God and also an expectancy for the Holy Spirit to be here moving, changing, saving and healing. And that is just such a blessing to myself and our church today, that foundation of may we always build our lives upon the authenticity and, and supremacy of the Word of God. And may we always build our lives on God, the Spirit is here, moving, leading His church, and may we surrender ourselves and be open to His leading and guiding. And I remember when it came to this topic of the gift of tongues, when I was kind of got saved at 13 years old, and my what I would call a real salvation experience, where my faith went from different from, okay, mum and dad are Christians, to now, I believe this, I, I want to live for Jesus. And not long after, you know, there was an opportunity to come up, be prayed for and receive the power of the Holy Spirit and, and the ability to speak in tongues. And I've got to be honest, in that moment, nothing spectacular shifted. I remember, you know, the, the, the person praying for me, it was like, well, make a sound. What seems familiar? And I just made a sound. And they were like, okay, well, why don't you practice that sound? Why don't you work on that sound? And I still remember that sound. And, and I've got to be honest, for like three years, I was just cognitively choosing to do that sound as, as my expression of speaking in tongues. 
something shifted. Just after I turned 17, I was about to move down to Sydney to do Bible college. And I remember being at a Youth Alive event in Brisbane. And as I was there, I can honestly remember, you know, the night wasn't uh, anything exceptional. I didn't feel life changing. I didn't feel like, wow, this is the best night of my life. But in a moment, the preacher said, hey, why don't we all stand up? Why don't we going to worship? Why don't you start praying with the person next to you? Right next to me is my brother, Chris. And, and we just start praying for each other. And as he is praying for me, I literally had this, this picture of myself. And it was like a white piece of paper. And I saw this black outline of myself. And I saw yellow just fill the paper. It filled internally me. And as soon as it got to the top of my head, it overflowed and covered me. And in that moment, I just remember erupting in tongues. Like I, I couldn't understand what was going on. And I remember I definitely wasn't choosing to think through what was that sound again I used to make. It was none of that. It was this moment of worship and praise to God. And I believe in that moment, that I received the gift of tongues from the Holy Spirit. From that day on, I have never cognitively thought, oh, what, what's the sound I want to make? What's going on now? I do choose in the moment to go right now, I'm going to engage in the gift of tongues. I, I, I haven't experienced in my life a moment where it just overwhelmed me when I'm trying to stop it and it kept flowing. I have heard testimonies like that, but for me, I choose to engage, but then I don't choose to make the sound. I feel like that gift flows. And I believe, here's my, my statement right from the get-go before we look at Acts. I believe the Holy Spirit is here. I believe He came to birth the church. I believe He fills a believer at salvation. And I believe there is evidence to show that you have been saved and born of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe there will be evidence. I believe in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7, each of us has received a spiritual gift. I believe in that. I believe in that for you, and I desire that for you. But if I'm really honest up front with my opinion, I don't think it has to be the gift of tongues. I believe there will be evidence and there will be a gift, but it doesn't necessarily have to be tongues. So why don't we look at Acts together? In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we read the verse that is, this is the verse is why I would still call myself a Pentecostal. I believe Acts 1, 8 is the verse for the Pentecostal church, so much more than Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is uh, resurrected from the dead. He died on the cross, paid our price, died a sinner's death on the cross rose again, conquered sin and death, has all authority and all power. And in this moment now says, you will receive power. Talking to the believers, talking to the disciples, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. In other versions, it says you'll be clothed in power and you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, where you are, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The word witnesses there, it's actually martyrs. It's where we get the word martyr from. And I, the reason I'm so passionate about this verse is I believe this is Jesus saying, when the Holy Spirit fills you, when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, what does it look like? You will be my witness. You will be willing to die. The word martyr. You will be willing to lay down your life 
for Jesus and you will be so focused on living in Jesus and showing Jesus to the world, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of insults, even in the midst of hardships, you will be so driven to live a life on mission. That is what baptism in the Holy Spirit looks like. That is my conviction. Now, in Acts chapter 2, we read something called about the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit first fell. And there's some really crucial things I want to bring out for us there today. Just to pick up in Acts chapter 2, it says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running as they were bewildered to hear their own language being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed, these people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Once again, I need to be clear, for me, that is a day to celebrate. For me, that is a day to rejoice in. That is a day when the goodness of God, God the Spirit descended, filled people and believers, birthed the church. Things changed and shifted from that day forward. Peter stood up and preached boldly, declaring a prophetic word from Joel that is applicable to the church now, that God would pour His Spirit out on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will have dreams and visions and the church will be birthed. And, And guess what? The result of Peter's bold declaration of the gospel was 3,000 people repented of their sins, were baptized, born again, saved into the church. The church was birthed. It's a crucial day. I am so glad we celebrate this day every year, but I've got to be clear on something. This is a day that is descriptive of a moment in time. I do not believe we should be crying out, God, do that again. I've got to be honest, I I don't believe we're meant to go, that's what happened in Acts 2, let's do that again and again and again. And and here's my reasons why. Number one, I've never heard a Christian pray this prayer and I think it would actually be quite blasphemous if they did. I've never heard, Jesus, come down and die on the cross again. I've never heard that prayed. Instead, what we do as Christians is we look back on the cross, that descriptive moment in time where something shifted, where God saved mankind. We look back and we go, thank you for that. Help me to apply that. I pray the power of the cross would change me and transform me and I'll live the rest of my life changed by that moment. I believe that's one off, what is on offer with Acts 2. We don't go do it again. We go, Holy Spirit, thank you for falling. Thank you for birthing your church. I'm looking back at what you did there. And I pray today I can receive the power of the Holy Spirit so that in 2023, as I record this, I can receive power to be a witness for the life, 
death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, I can boldly declare the gospel, just as Peter did as soon as he received the gospel. I can go and share the gospel. I can take that power of the Holy Spirit into the world today. I'm not saying do it again. I'm saying do it now in your way. And I apply the truths of that day to today. Because here's the thing. I need you to obviously look at Acts 2 right now. And you can feel free to comment or reach out to our church if you actually had this experience. But for me, personally, and I've been in church my entire life and leadership, I've never heard of someone the day they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, a powerful wind storm filled their house. I've never heard of someone having literal divided tongues of fire sit on their head Literally, I've never had that. And let's be clear about a third thing. I've never heard them speak in a confirmed other language and dialect, praising the goodness and glory of God. So why do we go, yes, this gift of a heavenly language, let's do Acts 2 again. Acts 2, they didn't speak in a heavenly language. They spoke in the languages of earth in a very unique moment that was never repeated again in Acts. So I beg you, As a Pentecostal, someone who believes in the power of the Holy Spirit on offer today with gifts that flow on offer today. Don't get stuck in Acts 2. Please, as a Pentecostal, don't be stuck in Acts 2. Appreciate Acts 2. Accept Acts 2. Be thankful for Acts 2. And take Acts 2 into the world like you were meant to do. Reading a book right now by F.F. Bruce, it's a historical account of the gospel spreading from John the Baptist all the way up to the conversion of Englishmen. And it's an incredible book, but I love the title. It's called The Spreading of the Flame. The Spreading of the Flame. And if you would lean into that title as well, what we can see is that Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit fell and fire rested upon their head, the fire of the gospel, the fire of the Holy Spirit started spreading through the world. Please don't keep praying. Holy Spirit, start that fire again. Why? He's here. The fire is well and healthy and good. The fire is consuming the world with the goodness and grace of God. The people being saved around the world. The fire is spreading Here's a better prayer. Holy Spirit, ignite me with your power to go and live my life in love with you and sharing the gospel and spread the flame of the goodness of God to the world. Ignite me so I can help spread it. Don't be stuck in Acts 2 going, please, Lord, do that again. Do that again. Don't be there. Saying to our church, you shouldn't crave an upper room experience. Instead, you should crave to open up your dining room. Too many Christians I know are going, Lord, do it again, Acts 2 again, but they don't even know their neighbors. They don't know the people living next door to them. They're not sharing the gospel. They're not buying groceries. They're not making meals for their neighbor who's had a baby or been in a car accident or in danger right now. Why don't we live on mission in our street? Why don't we be Pentecostals empowered by the Holy Spirit, baptized, receiving gifts of the Spirit, operating as the body of Christ, going, Lord, you've sent me to my workplace. You've sent me to my school. You've sent me, you put me living where I live in my street. Help me to live on mission for your glory. I think that is a better sign of a Pentecostal baptized in the Holy Spirit than someone who sits in church every day going, do it again, speaking in tongues, but doesn't even know their neighbor. So if you would allow me, why don't we press more into Acts 1.8. Say, Holy Spirit, 
clothe me with power and send me to where you've placed me as you've seen best. Use me for your glory. In the rest of Acts, we see some very unique moments. I won't take too much more time because I don't want this video to be too long. I preached on this for like 50 minutes on the Sunday when we preached this message. But in Acts chapter 4, at the end of Acts 2, when everyone's saved, we don't read about tongues again. What we read about is unity in the body. We read about them sharing everything. We read about them living on mission and gathering regularly. That's, that's a sign of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, verses 8 and 31, we read about Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, started preaching boldly. And then at the end of Acts 4, they prayed, Holy Spirit, fall again, God help us. It said they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued preaching with boldness. We see very unique things. And I just want to highlight some random things in Acts 8, 9 and 10, because I do believe in the gift of tongues on offer today. Really quickly, they're very unique, very different, kind of strange situations. Acts chapter 8. Philip is sent into Samaria. He's preaching the gospel. People are saved. People are seeing miracles. People are seeing healings. People are water baptized. Yet, uh, for some reason, I don't know why, but they are not receiving the Holy Spirit and baptizing the Holy Spirit is the language. I, I don't get why. For me, that is definitely born of the Spirit. That is definitely uh, receiving the Holy Spirit. However, it says they sent Peter and John, the, the Jerusalem apostles sent Peter and John. They came and laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And then there's a guy there called Simon the Sorcerer. And he's a magician. He's been doing all these kind of crazy things. And here's something to highlight. In Acts 8, we never read about tongues. And if Luke, was, if Luke wrote Acts, if he was convinced that tongues was the sign you've received the Holy Spirit. It was an easy transition to go, and they spoke in tongues. So he, he almost goes out of his way to not say tongues if tongues happen. However, you've got to accept something as well. For anyone who's hesitant on the gift of tongues, please lean into this space. Philip led them to the Lord, preached the gospel, water baptized them, and Philip is doing signs and wonders. Philip is healing people and miracles are happening. So this is, this is all there. And something extra happens visibly when Peter and John lay hands on the Samaritans. Something visible happens where a magician goes, oh, I want that, like take my money, I want to buy that gift. I'm not sure what that is. I've got to be open and honest with you. I don't know what happened in that moment, but we all have to accept something physical happened in that moment that could be seen that was extra to healings and miracles. I'm okay. If you want to land on the space where you go, I believe they spoke in tongues in that moment. I don't, I'm not going to say it's heresy. I'm just going to say it's not clearly mentioned in the Bible, so I'm not going to build it as a foundational scripture for this topic of tongues, but something supernatural happened in that moment. In Acts chapter 9, then, Paul gets saved. And it's a random kind of moment. He has a moment with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He comes to this place. He can't see. He's blind. And then this guy, this disciple, we've never heard of before. We don't hear of again, named Ananias. And Ananias comes. And almost reluctantly, if you read Acts 9 in your own space, it says he laid hands on Paul. Paul received the Holy Spirit, was water baptized, and could see from that time. Now, we don't read about tongues in that moment. 
But what we read about in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, I pray in tongues more than all of you. So either in that moment, and yet again, Luke just decides not to mention it, or at some point later in Paul's journey, Paul was baptized in the Holy Spirit at some point and started speaking in tongues. Something else I want to highlight, I forgot before. Sometimes we say baptism is a Holy Spirit on, but salvation is a Holy Spirit in. But you'll be shocked at how interchangeable they are through Acts. Because in Acts 1.8 that we're talking on today, Jesus said, you'll be clothed with power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And guess what happened in Acts 2 when he came? It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's pretty interchangeable. I'm not sure if there is two distinct things like you've got to get saved and then you've got to get clothed in the Holy Spirit. I just think it's this relational dynamic where God, I'm like, fill me again and again and again and again and again. Like we saw in Acts 4, Peter was already filled with the Holy Spirit, but they prayed and they were filled again with the Holy Spirit. I would love for you to be like, again, fill me, again, fill me, again, fill me and expect the Holy Spirit to come in an evident way. Sorry, back to Acts 9. So nothing significant happens in this moment. At some point after being laid hands on, filled with the Holy Spirit, water baptized, some point in, in that process or later, Paul starts speaking in tongues. But Luke doesn't mention it. However, what Luke does mention really specifically, straight away, uh, I, I hopefully can turn here quickly while we're filming this. But in Acts chapter 9, Catch this, in verse 20, immediately, what did Paul do? Doesn't mention tongues. He began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue. What was the clear demonstration? What was the clear evidence that Paul was changed, transformed, empowered by the Holy Spirit that Luke wanted to mention? He started preaching Jesus and he had boldness to do it, not in the streets, in the synagogues. He went to the Jews who were killing Christians. He went to the front line of persecution, hardship, insults. And he's like, I've got to tell you the truth. I'm willing to be a martyr. I'm willing to be a witness. Jesus Christ is the one true God. Now this is, so Acts 8, Samaritans, crazy story. Acts 9, Paul gets saved. Acts 10, Paul goes, uh, sorry, Simon goes to this guy's house named Cornelius. And this is wild. The Jew, Gentiles, non-Jews haven't been saved yet. He goes there. There's no sign of laying on of hands. They haven't been water baptized first. Peter starts preaching to them, Simon Peter. And while he's preaching to them, it says that they were baptized. The Holy Spirit fell and they could tell because they started speaking in tongues. Then they get water baptized. And we're sitting there like, man, is the, I was trying to formularize this thing. I'm trying to go A plus B equals C. I've got no evidence of anything right now. This is what I'm trying to highlight for you in Acts 8. They're saved, water baptized, seeing miracles. They haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit. For some reason, the disciples come. No mention of tongues. Acts 9, all in one kind of moment, hands laid on, baptized, some point later, tongues. Acts 10, no one lays hands on anyone. No water baptism, no repentance mentioned. Holy Spirit falls, tongues flow. I'm like, what is going on here? I'm trying to highlight to you that I don't think Luke is trying to create this formula for us to follow. I think he's giving a historical account of what happens in Acts about when God just does what God wants to do. God wants to save people. God wants to empower people. 
The Holy Spirit, when prophesied and promised by Jesus in John 16, verse 8, the first thing He's coming to do is convict the world of sin. And so let's focus less on tongues and and ambiguous prophetic words. What does it look like predominantly when the Holy Spirit is evident in the world, and I say as well in the church? People want to repent from idols and sin and turn to God. Less we see this, uh, if you do this first and then you do that second, you'll get this third. I don't think that's what we're meant to be learning. I think we're meant to be giving glory for these random processes. But in all of it, God is saving, regenerating, making us born again, filling us with a gift. There's evidence, there's a sign and sending us into the world. They're the things I would love you to focus on more so as a sign of baptism of the Holy Spirit. We see in Acts 16, Lydia, her household gets saved. No mention of tongues. The same chapter, a jailer goes to kill himself, but Paul intervenes and and preaches the gospel. He gets saved. He repents. His whole family's household is water baptized. These two people, Lydia's household, the jailer's household, that is the birth of the church of Philippi. There's a book in the Bible called Philippians. These guys, that's the start of the church. And when you read Philippians, Paul's bragging about them. They're a great church. Never does it mention anything about tongues or prophecy, but it mentions repentance and baptism and glory and gospel. But then I'll finish with this one in terms of my Acts journey. In, in chapter 19, we have to finish with this because once again, it's just, it's just so different that it reminds us we can't formularize what the Holy Spirit wants to do. We read about some apparent disciples in Ephesus. Apparently they're disciples. But when Paul says, how were you baptized? What baptism did you receive? They said, we've only received the baptism of John. And Paul said, well, that was before Jesus. That's a baptism for repentance to prepare you for Jesus. So the Bible doesn't say this, but there's actually a chance they weren't regenerated, saved, born again in that moment. There's a chance. And what, but they're called disciples. And so Paul says, hang on a second. What about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? They're like, we've never even heard of such a thing. In that moment, Paul water baptizes them in the name of Jesus first, then lays hands on them again, and they receive the Holy Spirit. They start speaking in tongues and prophesying. So once again, I'm always confused when people like, see, tongues happen again. It's the sign. I'm like, but prophecy happens too. When we don't see that anywhere else is a sign in Acts. Can, can you just partner with me in seeing this is less about a prescriptive model of, hey, see, because it's here, this is how it has to look for you. It's more a descriptive model of going, God saved, God sent, God saved, God sent. There's always gifts. There's always evidence. And let's just push into him to see what that looks like. See, here's some, some things I want to highlight in 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 29, it says, Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Catch this, this is in the Bible. Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Of course not. This is Paul in the Bible. Paul who speaks in tongues. And he says, I wish you spoke in tongues. Says, do we all speak in unknown languages? Of course not. 
Some people are going, oh, that's only referring to prophetic tongues. I'm like, he doesn't give parameter for that at all. In fact, he actually says, do we all prophesy and do we all speak in tongues? He's dividing it intentionally. If you want to believe that, feel free. Just so you know, there's no ground for that to be a theological dogma that we see anywhere. He just says, do we all speak in unknown languages? That's all he gives us. Then he says, of course not. So we should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. So here's the variables in Acts. Here's the variables. Sometimes hands are laid on people. Sometimes there's not. Sometimes they prophesied as well. Sometimes they didn't. Sometimes they were believers first, like in Acts 2. Sometimes they were not, like in Acts 10. Sometimes they spoke in tongues. Sometimes they didn't. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is in. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is on. There's variables. Craig Keener, great book called The Gift and the Giver. He says, because genuine tongue speakers are baptized in the Spirit, this need not imply that all Spirit baptized people must speak in tongues. He says, in the same way, you think of it like this, one might reason that all apostles are Christians, but not all Christians are apostles. There's variations, but one Holy Spirit who does want to fill you and change you and bring evidence and bring a gift and use you and that gift to build the church and live on mission to share the gospel of Jesus. So let's look at the definites. What am I expecting to be definites? Well, the gospel is preached. Jesus is preached. People turn to Jesus. They repent of their sin. They are water baptized. The Holy Spirit always comes with evidence. People's lives are transformed and then they go on to live and to share the gospel with boldness. These are the definites. So if I can finish with a couple of big things. Here's the big picture and here's a verse for us to always remember. Big picture is kind of this. What does the day of Pentecost mean? The day of Pentecost was a feast that happened every year. Its name, Pentecost, just means 50 days after the Passover or first fruits. That's all, Penti, 50. Pentecost is just 50 days after it. But what was it really about? Hear me now. The real meaning was the feast of harvest. It was to celebrate the first harvest. Say that again. The day of Pentecost was to celebrate the first harvest. What happens on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes? It's so much more than tongues. 3,000 people are saved, baptized, repent of their sin. The church is birthed. Hear me. The Holy Spirit came to harvest. The Holy Spirit has sent us. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. What's the most important evidence that the Holy Spirit is in your world? Repenting of your sin, holding on to Jesus with joy, be willing to live for him the rest of your life and share him with your world. That is the evidence I am looking for. That is why I would still call myself a Pentecostal Christian because I believe gifts are on offer today. But I'm not going to tell you which one you have. Instead, I'm going to say, show me your gift through how you live out the gospel. That is it. How do you make Jesus known to the world through your spiritual gift? Otherwise, it just gets weird and fruity and ribbons and ambiguous words that mean nothing. Hey, let's be real about this. What does Acts actually teach? Go into all the world and share the love of Jesus Christ. 
really clear. I'll finish with this. My encouragement for you is build your life on 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 and 12. In chapter 13, it says, But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. This is the next verse that we just read out. This is the verse after all the gifts of the Spirit are mentioned. Paul says, now let me show you a better way. It's best of all. If I could speak in all the languages on earth and angels, if I could speak in tongues but didn't love others, I'd only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now we see Christians pushing in to know the word better. Christians wanting to know theology more. I'm with you. Let's, let's build our life on the word of God. But this is the word of God. Now we see things imperfectly. Like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then when I go to heaven to be with Jesus Christ, I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. I'll finish with this. The Holy Spirit is for you, loves you. He wants to fill you, save you, and help you see Jesus. 1 Corinthians 12, about the gifts of the Spirit. In verse 4, it says, No one can say Jesus is Lord except through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is on offer, and He's going to come with evidence. I can guarantee it biblically. There will be evidence. Verse Corinthians 12, 7, every one of us has received a gift for the building of the body. The Holy Spirit will come with that gift. But I'm not going to tell you what that is. And if you want to push into tongues, I want you to push into the gift of tongues. Verse 4 says that it builds up and edifies the person in, in 1 Corinthians 14, 4. Speaking in tongues will edify you. It builds you up. But I just cannot believe that 1,500 years of beautiful Christians, some of my favorite theologians, like Charles Spurgeon and John Edwards and John Owen and John Calvin and John Wesley and all the Johns and all these wonderful people, St. Augustine and all these incredible people, St. Benedict, that I very little if zero mention of tongues ever in those 1,500 years. I can't believe that they weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit to live life on mission. The, the fruit that came through both John Wesley and George Whitfield, who didn't speak in tongues, but they were filled with the Holy Spirit to boldly declare the name of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm looking for in the church today. May we as a Pentecostal church shift away from let's be weird to this. Let's invite someone to a house that doesn't know Jesus. Let's cook them a meal. Let's show the gift of hospitality. Let's let the Holy Spirit flow through us to save that person in that moment. You will receive power, dunamis power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And what does it look like? You'll be my witnesses. You'll be a witness to Jesus Christ in your street, in your community, in your extended family, in your suburb, in your nation, and to the ends of the earth. That is the evidence you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I love you. Have a great week.